The world now respects America's policy of peace through strength. The United States is again the confident leader of the free world. For 30 years since the end of World War II, our strategy has been to preserve peace through strength. In foreign affairs, I'll continue our policy of peace through strength. America is fulfilling our destiny as peacemaker, but it is peace through strength. We are stronger now than ever before. Peace through strength. It's simple but brilliant. It makes a lot of sense. It's kept us safe for a long, long time until Joe Biden started to blow it off. Peace through strength, that is so, that's so what, Republican? I don't know, but now it's, please don't hurt us. Please, please, we don't want a problem here. And our feckless, weak approach, I do believe, brought on the casualties we saw this weekend, the deaths of three great soldiers in Jordan. Not quite sure what the heck we're doing in Jordan, by the way. Uh, that's where it happened in the northeast corner of the country, Tower 22. Um, how did we get here? I mean, look, there have been dozens, more than 100 attacks over the past couple of weeks on our forces over there, and we did next to nothing in response. Um, I think it happened, the deaths, because of these kinds of statements. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not looking to escalate the tensions any more than they already have been escalating. In fact, everything we've done has been designed to try to de-escalate those tensions. I made it real clear to Xi Jinping that uh, we're going to compete fully with China, but we're not going to look we're not looking for conflict. I made it clear to him again, what I've told him in person on several occasions, that we're not looking for confrontation. In a word, lame. Lame, L-A-M-E. Uh, Joe also is, I believe, compromised all over the world, so that kind of puts him in a very awkward position, and we're paying the price. And who is the moral heart and soul right now of the Democrat Party? Not Joe Biden, but <laughs> these two characters, right? AOC, Rashid Tlaib, he's got to worry about them. As far as we go, the American people, and our brave fighting men and women, all that stuff about God protect our troops. No, he never really meant it. And sorry, this is, this is asking for trouble. I want to point out that we had a tough day last night in the Middle East. We lost three brave souls in an attack on one of our base. Yeah. And uh, I've asked you to come to the south all three of those falls. And we shall respond. God bless you all. Thank you for allowing me to be here. And uh, I wish you to go. <laughs> Nothing like a little chuckle after a moment of silence for three dead soldiers. It's bizarre, and you know, it, it's, it's throughout his administration. It's not just the guy at the top. Tony, our Secretary of State, Tony, not better, worse. From the outset, we've been very clear in warning that anyone looking to take advantage of conflict in the Middle East uh, and try to expand it, don't do it. It's right up there with uh, Barack Obama. Cut it out. This is... 
This is not the front lawn you're protecting. This is our country, our people. And the president's been crystal clear. We will respond decisively to any aggression. He hasn't been clear at all. It was muffled and respond. He didn't say decisively, actually. Did you notice that? Next. We will hold responsible the people who attacked our troops. We'll do so at a time and a place of our choosing. Once again, saying everything like it's a question of our choosing, of our choosing. Um, look, that's not been our track record, their track record. Remember the balloon from China, right? <laughs> we didn't really deal with it until it was done spying on the country. What about COVID? Have there been repercussions for China? We know it came from the lab now, right? No, all we get from Joe is, hey, we want to be competitors. We don't want any problems here. How about on the eve of Russia invading Ukraine? That would have been the time for some tough talk, don't you think? This is what happened. But I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. My guess is Putin will invade Ukraine. After all, he has to do something. What about don't you dare, Vladimir Putin? No, we let that happen because they don't respect us. Most people understand that that would not have happened if Trump were in office. And then, you know, about our loss in Afghanistan. This was a strategic game changer. The whole world changed after they saw what happened to us after 20 years in that country. And Joe Biden, of course, not even doing the stuff that he was supposed to be good at, not even empathizing, checking out his watch, and not supporting the families of the men and women in uniform. Today is the date two years ago that we received our kids home at Dover. Two years ago today, where we were disrespected with stories of Biden's son and him looking at his watch. The disrespect that we were shown with him checking his watch, um, not even looking at us, I, 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 it was just total disrespect. And there couldn't be anything more disgusting and cowardly than the way you have treated us. You are a disgrace to this nation. You have no business having ultimate command over our military. And I regret not saying that to your face when I had the opportunity in Dover. While I stood there on the tarmac, watching you check your watch over and over again. All I wanted to do was shout out, it's 2 30. But out of respect to the other grieving families, I bit my tongue once again. You think Joe has learned anything? Has he shown any capacity to learn or improve on the job? No, it's the opposite. And he is so stubborn, he thinks that his family has suffered the ultimate. Nobody else's grief comes close. After all, Bo, who I'm sure was a great guy, Bo never uh, exaggerated his service, but his father did, right? Bo died in a hospital in the United States of America of a disease, but he tries to say that he's a gold star parent, Joe Biden, saying, lying, that his son died on the battlefield. Think of Iraq because that's where my son died. I say this as a father of a man who won the Bronze Star, the Conspicuous Service Medal, and lost his life in Iraq. My son who spent a year in Iraq and died was a patriot. See what I mean? So where are we, huh? What are we going to do next? This is not cutting it. 
And I heard today that the White House is not thinking about politics at all when it comes to Iran. I don't believe that at all. Do you? Now this. We need to lift up the issues, the successes, this extraordinary successes of the last three years, the Biden-Harris administration, and then we drive contrast. It's not even a complicated campaign. We have the receipts. We have the best three-year record of any modern American presidency, period, full stop. Just because you have a full head of hair and you talk like this doesn't make it true. Gavin Newsom, Mike. <laughs> Uh, that's what a lot of American society actually now stands for, right? If you look good, it doesn't matter what the hell you're talking about. No, you cannot fool us about Joe Biden. This stuff that we went through, inflation, this transgender mess that most Americans don't like, but somehow Joe Biden thinks this is a civil right, that grown men in women's clothes should be hanging around children in public schools. Uh, there's, there's a lot that Joe Biden is very, very vulnerable on right now. His complete lack of ability to lead and falling down all over the place. We still remember that, even though it was covered up by the fake news. And Joe, uh, look, when it comes to our fighting men and women, you do need the very best advice. And I don't think you're getting it from the guy who smirked when you fell at the Air Force Academy. Well, Joe took a hard tumble. And who's the guy sitting down over there behind him? That is his new chief military advisor, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, C.Q. Brown, who just sat there while you fell. Remember that, Joe. I don't think this guy is worthy of any president. Um, then again, he is saying exactly what you guys want him to say. Well, part of our work here is uh, to make sure as we, uh, uh, as things have happened in the Middle East, is not to have the conflict broaden. And so we, uh, as I provide advice and we think about the uh, approach we take, we want to ensure that we uh, take away capability while we protect our forces at the same time, not have this broaden into, a, uh, into a, a much wider conflict. This interview aired yesterday about an hour and a half before those soldiers were killed in Jordan. Taking time in the middle of the day to talk about race, that's his specialty, by the way. Not fighting wars, but equity, diversity, inclusion. Yeah, all that DEI stuff. Uh, not that emotional here. You want to see some emotion from this guy? Again, his name is C.Q. Brown. He took over after Millie, and he really gets emotional about, well, things that he shouldn't even be talking about. As the commander of Pacific Air Forces, a senior leader in our Air Force, and an African-American, many of you may be wondering what I'm thinking about, the current events surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. Nobody in the world wanted to hear from the whatever he was at the time, not the chief of staff of the Air Force, what his thoughts were on George Floyd. What, this is the new world we live in, and this kind of behavior was rewarded. An overtly political speech by a man in uniform in the middle of an election year. Here's what I'm thinking about. And think about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis in the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. 
and thinking about a history of, of racial issues in my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. Here's what I'm thinking about. This man doesn't like America very much. Seems to have a real axe to grind, actually. Has no business serving in uniform. Not at this moment and not at that rank. I'm thinking about my sister and I being the only African-Americans in our entire elementary school and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about then going to a high school where roughly half the students were African-American and trying to fit in. Dude. How, how can this man be appeased? He doesn't like it when there are all blacks, doesn't like when there are no, I, just all, all over the place, right? And he's sharing this with everybody in the military and the world beyond. I'm thinking about my Air Force career, where I was often the only African-American in my squadron, or as a senior officer, the only African-American in the room. I'm thinking about wearing the same flight suit with the same wings on my chest as my peers, and they mean questioned by another military member, are you a pilot? This one bothered me real bad, actually. You know, in the Air Force, just about everybody gets an air, uh, a flight suit. Who, who in the, who's the pilot in this picture? Can you tell? There are only two. I can tell who they are, but can you? I, was, I wore a flight suit for nine years. Most people can't, all right? Even in the military. The Air Force, they all wear funny wings. I don't get it. The rank insignia up here. So this is a man with a real chip on his shoulder about America and about the military. And saying this stuff when he said it again in the middle of an election year, two more. I'm thinking about my mentors and how I, rarely I had a mentor that looked like me. But you had a mentor. How many people get mentors in life? And you're, you're complaining about the color of their skin. I wonder how the, anyway, um, I got to go back to his interview from yesterday on ABC News. Uh, an hour and a half again before we found out about the dead soldiers. What really drove you to do that? My son. Uh, my son called me uh, about four days prior to the video. He was very much struggling with the death of George Floyd. And he asked me a question. He said, Dad, what is Pacific Air Force is going to say? As the commander of Pacific Air Force, what he's really asking me is, Dad, what are you going to say? Um, I was waiting for confirmation, so I was kind of torn about, uh, you know, saying something. Um, and then I just decided to say it, and uh, if I didn't get confirmed, so be it. So be it. Going to blow off uh, confirmation. That's the Senate confirmation you've been hearing so much about, right? Oh, Tommy Tuberville and everything he did. He's just going to blow it off and say and shoot off his political mouth. I have a big problem about that. And you know what? You should have told your son George Floyd really wasn't all that. It's not worth getting upset over. Let's take a look at the facts. He wasn't even murdered. It's true. All right. So where are we? He's the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He's been talking about race for years now and using it, I do believe, for his benefit. So where are we now? I had no intent for it to go as broad as it did, but I'm glad it did. What'd your son say to you when he saw it? I think he felt pretty good about it. What do you think has to change? I, and I think everybody, wants to have a fair shot. I don't want to be uh, disadvantaged or advantaged based on my background. You know, I want to be judged based on uh, 
my own accomplishments based on my merits and given an opportunity. That's all I've asked for throughout my, uh, you know, growing up. That's what I've asked for throughout my Air Force career. Um, and hopefully, you know, I'm sitting in this chair as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs because, not because I'm African American, because I'm a quality officer. Unfortunately, you blew that perception out of the water with your rhetoric, with, uh, well, your leadership and openly supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, this is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You want to see where he lives? In a mansion that we give him, all right? This is our house. You know what they look at? What's the view from that mansion? It looks down on Washington, D.C. That's Fort Meyer. It looks down on it. I wonder if he and General Milley, because we've had two stinkers, in my opinion, in a row, right, overtly political in the middle of an election year, looking down on Washington, D.C., as if the military is above it, right? Maybe we should, I don't know, have them live somewhere else other than in a mansion with a, a scenic look at Washington, D.C. Last, last thing. You know what they call CQ? Swamp thing. <laughs> no kidding. That's his uh, call sign from the military. He crashed once in a, in a swamp and whatever, and that, but... I know, it just kind of works, doesn't it? Swamp thing. They were ahead of their time in that squadron when they came up with that back in the 90s. I'll be right back. The former president. Who can you trust? A new study finds Americans don't trust big media. Millions are going to Newsmax as their trusted source. They go to Newsmax.com and watch Newsmax TV for the news they really need to know. They download the free Newsmax app. Almost 7 million cable viewers watch Newsmax, but not Fox News. And 20 million Americans like you have made the switch and watch Newsmax all the time. So make the switch to Newsmax for real news. One of the reasons why they kept Nikki Haley under wraps for much of the campaign, she wouldn't take too many questions from people in the crowd. She would not do all that much media because she makes mistakes left and right. Now, for some reason, she's got a lot of confidence. She shouldn't because she's still making bad mistakes. I mean, just saying things that are not true. And it's pretty easy to look at the Internet and prove that they're not true. All right, let's start. Here she is on Meet the Press yesterday. I mean, the reason the political elite are upset and the members of Congress are upset is because I've pushed for term limits. I've pushed for a mental competency test. I've said if they don't get a budget out on time, they shouldn't get paid. So, look, I have fought this political class um, my entire life, and it's, it's, I'd much rather be fighting for the people than fighting for the elected officials in D.C. Her entire life? Her entire life. She said her entire life. That would suggest I am not being ridiculous here. She wasn't doing it in the fourth grade, but maybe in her teens and 20s. No, she wasn't doing any of that stuff. She got elected to the State House of Representatives in South Carolina uh, when she was about 35. OK, next, please. He's been pushing them um, to pay for his lawsuits and all of these other things. But at the end of the day, this is not about the RNC. This is about the American people. This is not about a, you know, a political party deciding who they want to be the nominee. It's exactly what it is. This is exactly what it is right now. It is the political party deciding 
who they want to be their nominee. This, this primary thing is not open to everybody, Nikki. I know New Hampshire gave you a taste of that with the independents and the Democrats, but this is up to Republicans to figure out who their nominee is. Not uh, Blackstone, not corporations, okay? It's up to Republicans, actually. Next. When I ran for governor, there were five uh, candidates. I was far from the nominee. I was the one, I, you know, I ran against a lieutenant governor, an attorney general, a congressman, and a state senator. They did the same thing to me then. I won then. I'm going to win now. She makes it sound like she was some sort of, you know, brash outsider. All she had was a, was a shrimp boat business or something like that. No, she was a state representative, right? She worked in the state house. And she had the support of two ultimate insiders, the governor of South Carolina. Remember Mark Sanford? He went for that walk or went to Argentina and said he was on a walk or went on a walk and said he was in Argentina. What, what, something happened. And Mitt Romney. Okay, not exactly outsiders. All right, one more. What is unique about this case is that the jury has now ruled. They have found him liable of sexual abuse. Do you not? Trust the jury and their findings, Ambassador. I absolutely trust the jury. And I think that they made their decision based on the evidence. Absolutely. That's it. Done. She is done forever with MAGA. And MAGA is not going away. Absolutely not. You trust the jury? You know, if you know anything about this case, you know he's being railroaded. Donald Trump is. And that crazy witness, E. Jean Carroll. Yeah, it's still okay to say. It is. We can all see it. But you can't? Was the jury right when they let the guys go who killed Emmett Till? Huh? Juries get it wrong. A lot. Rest in peace politically, um, uh, Nimarada. It's over. I'll be right back. What I will say, our deepest, uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, of, uh, three folks who are, who are military folks, who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration, of the American people. Uh, how heartfelt can it be when it's so mixed up? Uh, lots to talk about. And uh, hey, Rick Grinnell. He actually lived and worked in the swamp for a bit. There he is back in the day at the United Nations uh, State Department. Uh, but he didn't become infected by the swamp. He is very independent, but fiercely loyal to Donald Trump. He was his acting director of national intelligence and is widely expected to be a major player in the next Trump administration, as we hope and expect there will be one. Rick Grinnell, welcome back. Good to see you. Uh, Gosh, what are you thinking about right now? What's uh, what's top of mind for you as the world is uh, kind of imploding? Well, first of all, can I say that I love the fact that you emphasize that uh, I don't live in Washington and I don't like the swamp. Boy, do I hate that place. I haven't lived there since 1995, but I did have to serve a little bit of time there. I, I always get a a place that's temporary that doesn't feel comfortable just to really emphasize that I got to get out of that place and go back to real America. But uh, look, I'm, I'm very concerned like so many people, Craig. I know you are, I know our viewers are. We see what's happening around the world. Chaos being now, two Navy SEALs killed last week, now have three more individuals killed. How many 
injured with brain injuries we don't even know yet. Our Secretary of Defense has been in the ICU hiding. Our national security advisor is not in control. Uh, we've got Americans held hostage for more than 114 days by a terrorist organization. And we can't get our act together in Washington, D.C. This Biden administration is literally promoting more war when we came out of Donald Trump's administration and President Trump gave us peace between Arabs and Israelis. And now we see more war, more war in the Middle East, more war in Ukraine. I, I know regular people look at the situation and they say, you know what, Donald Trump gave us peace. Let's get back to peace. We certainly don't want all of this war and we don't want our young men and women to have to go into a draft, which is what I fear. Totally. Um, hey, what do you make of their messaging, though, right now? Uh, you know, we don't want any conflict. We don't want to escalate. We don't want any conflict. We don't want to escalate. I've heard that a lot. Things seem to escalate and there seems to be conflict, whether we want it or not. How do you feel about that strategy? And is it a strategy to just go around saying, you know, you don't want conflict? It sounds very passive and weak, but you're the expert. Yeah. Look, they're trying to have it both ways. They they engaged with the Iranians. Let's remember that. They were engaging on this JCPOA, and they believed that the Iranians could be talked out of a nuclear weapon. Uh, this administration gave the Iranian regime, this radical regime, more than $100 billion when you count up the sanctions relief, the credit, and the cash that they gave them. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the Iranian regime took the money and launched a war and they're launching satellites into space uh, and creating chaos all over the world. So the first question is, is, does the Biden team actually believe that their engagement strategy with Iran has failed? I hope so. But when they talk of, about off uh, both sides of their mouth, where they're still wanting to engage with Iran, but now they're talking about pinpricking military action against Iran, you can't have it both ways. Either Iran is trustworthy and you're going to give them $100 billion, or Iran is not trustworthy and you need to freeze them out. In the Trump administration, Donald Trump believed that they couldn't be trusted, and we rallied the world to uh, create sanctions and to squeeze them financially. It was working until Biden came along and gave them a bunch of money. This is uh, Tony Blinken. We've talked about him before. I got to tell you, every time I see him, I, I become a bit more worried. But uh, here he was on some, uh, at some airport today, I think. I would argue that we've not seen a situation as, as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. All right, not at an airport, at some podium, uh, NATO. Uh, he was with the head of NATO. Uh, I feel like he's doing a commercial for himself, and every time he speaks, he makes the world a little bit less safe. Yeah, look, I think what you have right there is he just admitted that the world has not been this dangerous since the 70s. And I agree with him. First time I'm agreeing with Anthony Blinken. What he's created, the chaos that they've created by giving the Iranian radical regime $100 billion in credits and sanctions relief, uh, you've created chaos in the Middle East. Uh, he is the one who has failed to put together a peace deal in Ukraine. We're now multiple years and $114 billion from American taxpayers. Think about what $114 billion could have could have done in our country if you had a secretary of state that's put 
putting forward peace agreements. We have a total failure of a secretary of state. He's uh, successfully made the State Department irrelevant over these last three years. And that's sad to me. I'm somebody who's worked at the State Department for 12 years. I know we have incredible diplomats there that are hungry to do tough diplomacy, not get pushed off uh, the, the, the stage when there's a conflict. But that's exactly what's happening with Anthony Blinken. I actually don't believe Joe Biden thinks Anthony Blinken's doing a good job. He's certainly not utilizing him. So uh, if I could, the United Nations uh, story in Gaza, there are reports that uh, staff there, United Nations staff, direct ties to Hamas, may have been coordinating with them, may have been doing all kinds of things that the U.N. is not supposed to be doing. Does this, do you, do you question the validity of this story? Does it surprise you? Is this the United Nations you know? Yeah, look, I worked at the U.N. for eight years. Uh, I know this place very well. And thank God that Donald Trump uh, decided to get rid of this funding. And I know Nikki Haley's trying to take credit for it, but Donald Trump instructed her to do it. She couldn't have done it on her own. And President Trump saw from the very beginning that we could not engage with these organizations that are secretly trying to work against us. And that's what we have throughout the UN. We need to uh, have drastic reform. And thank God that Donald Trump really recognize that and pushed through uh, defunding of UNRWA. Hey, finally, uh, where are you? It looks like uh, the coolest we work I've ever seen. I, I don't know. <laughs> What's happening there? Can, to the extent you can share, where are you? I, I'm in an office in Los Angeles, and uh, it's a very cool and hip office. You're right. Yeah, totally, totally. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, looks like those guys are collaborating on a screenplay. Who knows what? Many thanks to Rick Grinnell. To be continued, and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Tony Marino, host of the wildly popular Newsmax Daily podcast, available for free along with Jerry Callahan, Rob Carson, and other great podcasts at Newsmax.com slash listen or wherever you get podcasts. So these are the heroes who were killed in Jordan on Joe Biden's watch. A lot of people kind of saw this coming, right? Uh, the lack of leadership, the confused situation coming from the Biden administration. And this, of course, is not the first time we've lost uh, Marines, soldiers, uh, our service members uh, on the battlefield. Who remembers the 13 we lost uh, on our way out of Afghanistan? That botched withdrawal, totally horrific, totally preventable. Our heroes came home that day, uh, I think it was in uh, September, August, September of 2021, off that great big airplane. Joe Biden looked noticeably bored, actually, checking out his watch. It was offensive to all of us, um, especially to the family of Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. He was one of the heroes lost in that attack outside the airbase in Afghanistan. His father, who was there that day, Darren Hoover, will never forget the disrespect. Today is the date two years ago that we received our kids home at Dover. Two years ago today, where we were disrespected with stories of Biden's son and him looking at his watch. 
It was incredible. Darren Hoover joins us now, the father of Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. Sir, welcome back to Newsmax. It's good to see you. Sorry again under these circumstances. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, Greg. Thank you. It's bringing up a little bit of the the feelings again all over. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to me that, you know, now we've got three new Gold Star families. You know, three knocks on, on doors that, that shattered three families' lives. And it's just, it it tears me apart. You know what that's like, what these families are going through right now. And it's uh, kind of, it's got to be unthinkable for, and I'm so sorry this happened. So um, a couple of years out now, I'd like to ask you about Joe Biden, and you actually refer to it in that clip. He's talking about his son, Bo, a lot. And somehow that, to me, it shows that he doesn't have to kind of worry about the troops out there as much as he would, because he's he sees himself falsely as a gold star father. And I think he uses that as a weapon. You were there, you talked to him. That's, that's, that's my potential takeaway. What do, you, what do you think, sir? Why does he bring that up so much? You know, I don't know whether it's to feel sorry for us or to feel sorry for himself or to maybe try and, and have some common ground with each one of us. You know, it, to me, it's tone deaf and it speaks volumes to the lack of the lack of uh concern, integrity, whatever you want to call it, that he can't he can't be forthright and forthcoming with true emotions. It's, it's like it's almost like it's canned now. You know, it's interesting. This was supposed to be what he was good at. Remember, right? The empathizer in chief. This was this was his thing. And he can't even do that right. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your son? What was he like? Well, like I, we've all said before, he was he was the best kid. I, every parent can say that. Every grandparent can say that. Every sibling can say that. You know, but he cared about his family first and foremost, and second was his men uh, that he was that he was over. And that he trained and loved them just as much as he loved his family. They were an extension of his family, and he celebrated in their successes. And he celebrated, well, not celebrated, but he he was with them in their their trying times as well. And just a just an all around good good man, full of integrity, and knew what it took to be the leader that he became and he put a lot of hard work into it. And I mean, his, his actions speak for himself and the legacy that he set. If I could put the pictures up of the, the fallen soldiers from, from this weekend, Rivers, Sanders and Moffitt, um, if you could advise the families of, uh, of these individuals, and we hope that they'll have the support they need uh, in this time, but is there anything that you would you would advise? 
whether it's you know something practical or, or, or just something something larger? You know, it, it, at this point, I know it's it's still brand new, and the heartache and the the fear of the unknown right now, and it's going to be difficult for easily the next two weeks the most difficult thing that they've probably done in their lives. Um, but lean on each other, lean on family members, lean on friends, lean on the military because the army and the DOD owes them everything. We as a country owe them everything. And the support, you know, that, that they need to have, it needs to be there. And, you know, time, time's not going to heal it. Unfortunately, my heart goes out to them. It breaks for them and just stay the course. I mean, that's pretty much all any of us can do at this point and know that we're behind them, that we love them. And unfortunately they're a member of a, of a large family that they didn't ask to be a part of, but now they are, and we love them with everything that we are. Well, that, amid all of this tragedy, that was beautiful, sir. Darren Hoover, father of fallen Marine Staff Sergeant Taylor Hoover. Thank you, sir. Stay in touch. All the best to you and your family. Thank you, appreciate it, Greg. We'll be right back. Wow, the whole world is talking about Taylor Swift. Uh, I actually like Taylor Swift. I like the song called Style. I like the song where she's complaining about her boyfriend who lied to her. I like the song where she complains about the boyfriend who dumped her. I like the song about the girlfriend who let her down on the big night. She was expecting all the support at the party. I kind of have a problem, though, with the hardcore Taylor Swift fans. They are totally over the top, worshiping this woman. Have you seen any of the pictures I've, of her in concert? I wouldn't go myself. I don't do that kind of thing anymore. But I think what they call it is uh, they're elevating her to an idol, idolatry. This is a little bit what idolatry, I think, looks like, and you're not supposed to do that. In fact, if you look it up in the Bible, it's a sin. So I don't like that. And I'm also over this new boyfriend. I mean, actually, I know adults who bring this up in regular conversation. Well, you know, they're going out now. It seems like it's pretty serious. You know, let us know when you get married. People who go out with each other, boyfriend, girlfriend, all right, that's like right out of middle school. So the whole thing is ludicrous. To be honest, I don't think they're really into each other. I think it's a publicity stunt, but okay. Um, and she is going to use all of this uh, popularity, potentially, against MAGA and for Democrats. She's got a record of this stuff, a track record. Taylor Swift comes out against Trump. I don't care if they write that. I'm sad that I didn't two years ago, but I can't change that. I'm saying right now that this is something that I know is right, and you guys, I need to be on the right side of history. Taylor, and if he Taylor. doesn't win, that at least I, I, at least I tried. So um, 
some people think this is a massive psyop. They're going to build her up and build up Kelsey as well, build them up, build them up, build them up. And then at the moment of truth, they're going to endorse Biden. Uh, this is her back in 2020, you know, all blue, all Democrats, all stop the red wave and um, things like that. Uh, look at the New York Times. They're actually writing about it. They say that we may not be wrong about this. Inside Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. Other Biden aides are drafting wish lists of potential surrogates, including elected officials, social media influencers, and the endorsement of their wildest dreams, the global superstar Taylor Swift. Uh, yeah, I think people need to cool it with worshiping strangers. I mean, this, what do we know about her for real? All right, do we have time for Martha Raddatz? No, I'll save that for tomorrow. It's good. Be right back. Information. Truth. Is freedom. Is Newsmax. It's real news for real people. Okay, have you signed up for Newsmax Plus yet? You got to check it out. So far, let's see, 200,000 Americans have signed up. Newsmax Plus, if you're tired of uh, old media, check it out. It is awesome. You will get access to everything Newsmax, all of our great shows. This show, Rob Schmidt, Greta, Carl Higby, and bowling, and much more. You know, we have great experts, right? And uh, we also have all the Trump rallies. You can't get them anywhere else now anywhere else. So um, this is risk-free, by the way. There's a money-back situation. So check it out, NewsmaxPlus.com, NewsmaxPlus.com. Thank you. All right. I think we have a little girl dancing. <laughs> this is this is Annalise dancing to my theme song. Could that be? <laughs> anyway, doesn't she look great in that little tutu? She's not yet Four. She's going to be four very, very soon. And uh, anyway, love you, honey. I just wish you were a little bit nicer to her little sister, Madeline. That's a work in progress. My wife did such a good job uh, in so many ways. Okay, love you, ladies. And thank you for watching. Thank you for your support. I'll be back tomorrow.